Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia Podcast. I am Timothy Swan. And I'm Ben Fell. And this week, we'll be discussing the funny side of psychology with a special guest. Yes, Hooray. joining us this week in the studio that we don't have, it's Mira Desai. Yeah! Hello, Mira. Hello, Ben. Hello. And it, what a lovely studio it is. It looks surprisingly like my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, that's weird. That's what it looks like to me as well. It's quite creepy. Your really. bedroom. <laughs> um... Yes. How many seconds in did we get before I made it creepy? <laughs> it was already creepy. Um, I feel I feel kind of like since we've got three, three people that we should do some sort of extremely contrived introduction involving all three of us and like unified unified talking, which doesn't work on Skype. I think we should. Yeah. I think we should take another run at that. I've been okay. practicing. <laughs> okay, let's try again. Okay, from the top. Five, four, three, mime, mime. Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia Podcast. I'm Timothy Swan. And I'm Ben Fell. And I'm Mira Desai. And, to, and together, together we're, we're going, going to discuss, discuss the fun, the fun side, side of psychology. psychology. Nice. That Nailed it. <laughs> so we should probably do like a little bit of introduction. Um, Tim and Mira and myself all did our undergrads together um, because... Uh, in at the same place at Oxford, and we all did psychology. And this, the reason that Mira is our first ever guest, an auspicious day, is because we don't like branching out our social groups all that much. So <laughs> stick with what we feel safe with. Yeah, pretty much. Do we have any other friends, Ben? I don't think I do. <laughs> um, so Mira, uh, yes, very pleased to see. Do you want to do you want to introduce yourself to the boys and girls a little bit? Sure. Hello, boys and girls. Um, I'm delighted to be here. I've been a huge fan. Um, up until whichever episode I'm up to, which is about 21, but I will catch up one day. That's fine. Um, Very few people have. I think it's better that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what? I mean, what is your, your sort of psychology? I suppose the important thing we is like sort of vague psychology background. Not that that is a prerequisite of guests on this show, but, you know. Yes. Okay, so... Let's think. As an undergrad, I was quite into into the babies, um, quite into the language learning. <laughs> um, and now your, your studies focused on the developmental and linguistic area. Let's yes. say something oh, yeah. like that. <laughs> yep. That's probably what I should have said. Um, <laughs> now I work for the NHS um, in a mental health clinic. Cool. So now my interests have veered more towards the clinical side of things. And this week. We are not going to be discussing the clinical side of things because no, although not. we have two people, Tim and Mira, who are highly specialised in this and will probably have lots to say, um, it is neither funny nor legal. No. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I could probably lose my job and <laughs> even if my work satisfaction, you know, could be higher, <laughs> don't want to lose my job. Zing, um, <laughs> I thought your boss listened to this, Tim. <laughs> Oh, come on. He doesn't have time to listen to this. He's busy running a very good company. Um, he added hastily. <laughs> yeah, and insincerely. Um, yeah, um, what I was going to say is that there are funny things in clinical psychology. There's only so much humour you can wring out of the fact that schizophrenics can tickle themselves before it becomes a bit kind of, you know, awkward. I think in, in we may we may at some point do one on like a dedicated podcast on clinical stuff, but I think it's more likely that we will occasionally extract funny snippets from clinical psychology in other subject matters uh, i think so yeah yeah anyway so what are we going to be talking about ben oh right yeah totally so well actually <laughs> uh, derailed us um it, this is kind of mirror i think you should probably introduce it given it's kind of one of your other like interests i suppose yeah, sure. um although firstly i'm gonna say i keep forgetting that i need to sort of talk because i keep thinking i'm a listener oh yeah no you definitely like, you need to butt I've in my like hell. In. i know because I've, I've got my earphone in i just think that i'm listening to you talking, <laughs> recorded well, you kind of are listening live but you are here to contribute we yeah, do expect yeah. you to pay your way <laughs> okay so this week we are going to be talking about gender in fact this week and next week i think we're going to be talking about gender um, yep. Yeah, planned double episode. Going to do another. So, with uh, the Olympics are bombed, and we make some kind of cheap joke about it in the next episode. Sorry, <laughs> it wasn't Although, us. <laughs> yeah, we've got an airtight alibi. <laughs> um, yeah. So, gender. Um, the yep. it's it's and gender. What else? Mazes. We've got food and gender. Smell. We've got 
male and gender. Jokes. Babies, jokes. All the things you like. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's hideously stereotypical that, you know, a, an all-male podcast feels the need to bring on a girl to talk about gender. Um, but A, you know, it's generally speaking a good thing to do. And B, as previously mentioned, the other option was depressing psychological mm. disorder. Essentially me representing all of womankind, which I'm not sure that women <laughs> want me as their ambassador. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of things women don't want me as, but ambassador is definitely one of them. <laughs> oh. I'm sure we'll attest to that. <laughs> this might be a good time to do a shout out to our kind of fourth... <laughs> No, 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 I refuse. Oh, not. Okay. <laughs> she said, she said, oh no, I don't think I'd be any good on the show. I don't think so. And also I don't listen to it. And so no, we're not going to give her a shout out. No, you can, you can. Okay, well, in that case, She's we dead move us. on. <laughs> no shout out. Tim, Mira is we driving this do. podcast forward harder than we ever managed to. <laughs> I know. Is this oh, know. a reflection of... Like, there's a third person. It's the diffusion of responsibility. Oh, None of us are going and helping the metaphorical Kitty Genovese of <laughs> staying on topic. I, I thought it might be that this is reflective of a listener's feelings that constantly that just screaming at the... We haven't said anything. <laughs> <laughs> we've been introducing you and not just talking over you and stuff i thought it might be that you know all listeners listening to this section are like get on with the bloody psychology already so maybe we should do that by talking about feedback yeah okay um so all of the feedback this week is going to be about the last episode and basically from me and ben ben you had some thoughts about that episode that you did yeah well it was quite fun actually i mean it, it's always weird just talking to yourself alone in a big empty house um my uh the girlfriend was on a holiday uh that week as well hence the melancholic ending which i think tim may wish to talk about in a sec i apologize for that by the way it turns out that i've decided i like singing on this thing um so sorry um what did you sing it's you'll have to listen and find out it was all by myself um <laughs> It really made me think of one of our fellow younger psychologists who's a bit of a fan of Bridget Jones. <laughs> anyway, carry on, carry on, because I'll talk about the whole homoeroticism of it later. <laughs> right. So the only the only thing I wanted to say was in the corrections and clarifications column of Psychomedia, um, uh, I expressed last week perplexedness at the title of the uh, document about swearing called What Not to Swear. Um so thank you to uh, one Timothy Swan <laughs> on Twitter who kindly pointed out that that is a pun on something from Trini and Susanna. So um, I'd just like to hold my hands up and say I'm in absolutely no way ashamed to not have known that. <laughs> yeah, you're keeping those man points like we both did by not knowing about Sex and the City. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm confident in my media-based manliness. Yeah. Well, no, I, the only couple of things I wanted to say. Well, one, had you thought which class the uh, Psychomedia no. Star Destroyer might be? Did you look at the page no. I sent you? <laughs> uh, but no, more seriously, the racial epithets were much lower than they should have been. It was quite distressing in terms of their kind of severity mm. as voted yeah. for by the public. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really think about the ordering too much because they were studies done by broadcasting corporations rather than good... Uh, God-fearing psychologists, and therefore I was disinclined to pay them much attention. Um, but, you know, that's just me being biased, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's actually tried to do a more... But, it, you know, the methodology is not going to be dissimilar if you try and work out what is the worst swear word. Hmm. I think you should probably do an animal study on it. <laughs> yeah, like knockout mice. It's like, this mouse <laughs> has had the gene that lets it say the C word. Out. <laughs> oh, I was just... I was just going to, like, put mice in, a, in a, a maze with, like, different arms and down each of the arm is a different swear word and you see which one they stay in the longest. <laughs> oh, but that would be subject to some kind of demand effect, so it would be, like, MF because that's the longest one or something stupid like that. Yeah. Hey, we should get funding for this. Um, yeah, uh, what else? Oh, yeah, um, pa Patrick did point out that it was pleasant when you kind of... Was he, did he say when you miss a button, essentially? That you'd be like, damn, in the fine kind of 1900s tradition. When I miss a button, I'd be damn. 
because he he says, oh, the worst thing that could happen to a man buttoning up his shirt. Oh, yeah, that. Sorry, I thought he was making a reference to me pressing buttons on the soundboard and then saying, damn, that... No, that, yeah, I I thought that was quite... I thought that was very... That whole article by uh, Patrick, I think, was... Uh, yeah, beautiful. I loved it. Uh, I highly, as a, as just a general read, I probably recommend that one highest because it's just this sort of wonderful, flowing, antiquated psychology prose. Yeah. Oh well, I'll have to look it up. It's just that he points out that it's quite a kind of phonologically good word to say, and I've certainly heard that theory about Anglo-Saxon words as kind of mm. persistent profanity is that they're great sounds for that kind of phonology of something quite expressive. Hmm. I don't know if anyone studied it kind of cross-linguistically, whether hmm. profanity has that kind of... Another one to the ever-expanding list of research proposals that we'll never make. Yep. Well, you know, who's going to fund that? <laughs> um, I would I would ask Mira what she thought of it, but, you know... you. you... I, I've kind of zoned out a little bit. I'm, I'm almost a little bit confused as to what you're talking about, but are we still on the feedback? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're talking about the episode that ben did which was all about profanity and swearing and the psychology thereof yes okay but it's quite contextual stuff but uh i think we're going to wrap it up okay i hope so anyway (laughs) okay should i start should i start the next bit off um by asking you what we've done this week Okay, yeah. This is proper hosting. I'm very impressed. Yeah, You've taken great. to this very naturally. Like like a duck to a water maze. Um, <laughs> what have what have we done this week? Well, we, we did do one thing together. Uh, yeah, the thing I wanted to say about the outro was Ben singing all by myself because he was without, well, I didn't know that he was without the girlfriend, but without me as well, <laughs> did strike me as deeply, deeply homoerotic. And this quite homoerotic thing happened uh, we went to the Red Wedding, the Black Wedding, Don't the Monochrome Wedding. Don't call it the Red Wedding. Nobody Why was horribly it? murdered. Oh, okay. Uh, it was uh, our, our mutual psychology friend uh, from Sweden's ah, wedding okay. to her um, distressingly similarly surnamed uh, fiance. <laughs> yeah, I may, I may have, uh, I may have kind of said under my breath incest incest at a key point in the, there's a key, a key point in any wedding ceremony where <laughs> shouting things like incest is probably not going to help the proceedings <laughs> i didn't shout it i just said it under my breath but loud enough for ben to hear um <laughs> also their vows featured i'll be your best friend and i did kind of go shucks <laughs> at that point um we were taking yeah. all clearly seriously. i do not take weddings seriously but anyway, no, uh, afterwards we were discussing marriage, as one does, with a newly married couple of two weeks previous, who we also knew from Oxford. Your kind of predecessor at your present position, Ben, really, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. One of them. Uh, I'm trying to work Who are you talking about? Keon. I don't, don't know. Okay, there, fair enough. Um, we were talking to some people, and... and yes. <laughs> The topic of gay marriage came up, as you might expect. Obviously, it's kind of an issue at the time. Today, Scotland have passed gay marriage. So, um, anyway, um, uh, and so this particular person's wife, who hadn't met us before, said to us, so when are you having your ceremony? (laughs) It was beautiful. The ceremony, I mean. (laughs) Yes, a, char- a charming location. But it was quite funny because it's the first time, as far as I'm aware, that we've ever actually been mistaken for a couple. And what did you say in response? Um, we-, we kind of both took a step sideways. You <laughs> towards your, the girlfriend. Ben. Who was there standing <laughs> next to me at the time. <laughs> That's the <laughs> no, particularly upsetting you. part about <laughs> it. Not my right, which is, I think, what was causing some of the issue. Mm. Yeah. It is, yeah. I mean... To be honest, of everyone there, it reflects worst upon me. Obviously, it doesn't reflect badly on us as being mistaken for a gay couple, because I'm sure we'd make a very sweet gay couple. But the fact I'm that sure I, I came across as more coupley with you than I did with my girlfriend who was standing next to me, um, yeah, I feel I feel quite bad about that. Well, it's it's. I think it's the podcasting thing in a way. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's that's pretty much what we did this week on the subject of the girlfriend, actually. Um, she uh, she got back from holiday, which was very nice. 
Um, oh, can I talk about my holiday first then? Well, no, because I'm talking about the girlfriend now and it's only very, very, very quick. All I wanted to say was she brought me an awesome, awesome book called Furry Logic, which is thankfully nothing to do with an internet subculture. Um, oh. And it's everything to do with uh, small, cute uh, watercolours of various animals with various life-affirming phrases in. Um, oh. The My favourite of which thus far is... If you can keep your head when all about are losing theirs, it's quite possible you haven't grasped the situation. <laughs> Which is probably my favourite of all time. Tim, you may continue. Oh, well, yeah. Um, I, I just want to say I, I went to Wales. It was very charming. Bilingual countries are nice. New Zealand, Wales, I'm sure there's others. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and yeah, the sun came out and we had a nice holiday and I read mostly... Um, George R. R. Martin, to be honest. I also read some uh, Batman comics, and maybe we'll talk a bit more about Batman next week, um, as it were. Um, Statistically probable. Yeah. Mira, um, what have you done this week? Yeah, that's what, what I was going for. So yeah, <laughs> Wales was really nice, a cottage was really nice, but yeah. Mira, what have you done this week? Well, I watched a film. Well, actually, I watched one and a half films, because I thought that that's what we were supposed to do before recording this podcast. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> well, I did watch some films, but I have to split my content. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, that's um, great. As long as one person has watched films, then that's great. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've watched, well, half a film for each of us. I think that works out. Oh, great. Out. <laughs> yeah. um, so I watched half of The Shawshank Redemption, Ooh. which was really good. And only watching half of it was due to logistical reasons rather than it not being good. Hmm. Um, so I hope to watch the other half soon. And then Mr. I watched... Jangles. Sorry, mm-hmm. carry on. <laughs> what? Oh, no, that's the Green Mile. That's the Green Mile. Damn, I always get those two confused. Very different <laughs> endings. Very different endings. Um, yeah, yeah. No spoiler. Spo- spoiler warning for the Shawshank Redemption as Ben no remembers it. Okay. And the other film? The other film was Boys Don't Cry, which <laughs> provides a... Re- well, no, you can't laugh because it's a really traumatic I'm film. Sorry, I was trying to cry. Okay, good. <laughs> I guess you're just not as emotional as, you know. Yeah. As, as a girl, is that... What is, yeah, basically. What is the story of Boys Don't Cry? I, I do not know. Well, it's... Okay, so it's got... It was... I think it was filmed in about 98, and it's got a very young Hilary Swank, and Chloe... Wait, is Seven- it pronounced Swank? Swank. Swank? I don't know. I think Swank, but I prefer Swank quite significantly. <laughs> Hilary Swank. <laughs> Hilary Swank. Um, and it's about a transgendered young person who is kind of running away from being found out that he's anatomically female and everyone kind of catches up with him and then they all find out and then they're really not very nice to him to put it very mildly oh. yes it was it's a very it's a brilliant film but it's not really a funny film so I don't really want to drag out any humor from it well let's not do that but let us use it as no. a not entirely belabored segue onto some psychology yeah. of gender Ooh, cunning. I wish I had my soundboard with me. I really miss it. Um, anyway. Bong, belaboured segue. That's basically what Thank you did, isn't it? Pretty much. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, excellent. So, um, yeah, gender. Um, I think I shall kick it off this week as um, the study, the first study that I want to talk about is, I suppose, what you might call, like, the first point of contact when you start thinking about gender differences, gender stereotypes, all that kind of thing. Um, Reverse parking? Basically, yes, actually. Um, Ah. So, uh, I'm a social psychologist, as I may or may not have mentioned before, (laughs) at some length. Um, And one of the things I am interested in, in my actual, like, real research and job and stuff, is uh, group categorization. That is, like, how we as social animals divide up our world into sort of in-groups and out-groups. Um, and as far as this goes, kind of one of the oldest categories in the whole history of humanity is that of gender. Um, you can consider gender differences as sort of social constructs, but you can also consider them biologically, obviously. But there have been men and women for as long as there have been people, and therefore, in my mind, at least there have probably been stereotypes about men and women for almost as long um i mean obviously this isn't the case if you believe in something like a literal interpretation of genesis uh 
in which case there haven't been men and women for as long as there have been people. And which also, I think, means it well, must have been... Well, it must have been gonna... really difficult to come up with material for stand-up comedy routines in the Garden of Eden. Um, yeah, I wonder if, you know, comedy's kind of about subverted expectations in a place that's kind of paradise on Earth. There probably isn't that many true. things to make jokes about. Yeah. Um, also, on top of that, I doubt uh, Old Testament God, not exactly known for a sense of humour, uh, and I think it's a bit of an understatement to say that that whole like forbidden fruit shtick didn't play too well with the celestial demographic. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, anyway. Um, I was just trying to think of there being jokes in the Old Testament. Most of the jokes, as it were, uh, like didn't really want you to kill your son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair, that is probably the closest. <laughs> Uh, wow, me demonstrating biblical knowledge. That's a rare, rare phenomenon. Anyway, um, the thing about male and female stereotypes is that it's very difficult to determine which, if any of them, are actually grounded in some kind of biological reality. In general, what you find is the pattern that emerges is that most stereotypical traits of men and women are in large part due to societal pressures, cultural pressures upbringing that kind of thing rather than any fundamental biological imperative however that's not what mostly that's not what we're going to talk about this week um and one of the few real pervasive stereotype differences that does seem to be borne out by science is that of spatial memory so in response to what you were saying tim in general men genuinely are biologically better at parking than women right Um, That's, is this a reference to the last time that you saw me part? That's interesting. <laughs> I honestly hadn't thought of that. That was, if that was some very clear-cut evidence of this point. <laughs> and given that I was representing men in this particular, <laughs> I was going to say competition. We can say from our sample size of two that the dyspraxic male is roughly superior to the uh, non-age-matched control female. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll I'll give you that. I'm a terrible, <laughs> I'm terrible part. <laughs> it would would be pretty bad if twenty minutes in we had our first storming off. <laughs> <laughs> I've slammed down the mic before, but I think it was for comic effect. Um, anyway, that is, however, not to say that. Uh, uh, so, uh, th- sorry. Let me take another run on that. Men are better at parking, and they have some of the other stereotype is that you know men are better at reading maps um actually that one's a little bit more subtle it seems that men are better at reading some maps in some circumstances um and the consensus seems to be that part of the reason for that is that men and women tend to give directions in different ways so basically men are better at giving directions to men and women are better at giving directions to women in general um because male directions and male kind of navigation tends to involve things like uh, compass bearings, distances, uh, kind of like plotting out a little mental topographic map. Whereas female directions tend to uh, involve, emphasize landmarks and like the, what you personally would experience if you were to follow the route that someone's trying to convey. All this is going somewhere, don't worry. Um, Are are you sure? (laughs) Check the map. Uh, I hope so, anyway. Sorry, obvious, but... So the way that psychologists describe this is in terms of allocentric spatial memory versus egocentric spatial memory. Allocentric uh, just means external to the person and egocentric is internal. So women tend to use egocentric memory. I, they internalize spatial information, make it self-focused, whereas in general, men uh, use allocentric spatial memory, so they externalize things. Obviously, if... If gender differences literature were to have a catchphrase, it probably would be in general. Not a very good catchphrase, but, you know, it's dry Can psychology literature. A little home experiment that our listeners could perhaps try out themselves. Oh, yes. No, you should. You should totally talk about that just before I get okay. to the actual study to keep. Right. So, Ben, I don't know if you actually remember this, but I think Tim's college father sort of came into a room when we were revising spatial memory and told us about this but anyway all you've got to do is visualize yourself at home and then visualize the route to a familiar location about five minutes away in detail so kind of visualize yourself getting from home to this place okay and 
pause the podcast for a couple of minutes while you do that. <laughs> right. Okay. Right, right. Unpause. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. think about what's moving. Is it you that's moving, or is it the landmarks and the route that's moving around you? If that makes any sense. Uh, I think it was me. Yeah, it was me moving along a kind of line. Yeah. As if it were kind of a little person on a map. Mm. Okay, so that actually works. So apparently men tend to visualise themselves moving along the route, mm. whereas women tend to think that the whole world revolves around them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, but it actually works. Yeah. Because I've tried it on women and men and it like from my sample of four, they've all fitted into the right category. Yeah. So that's a wonderful illustration. I wish I'd remembered it myself, but thank you. That's great. And I'd love to know if it works. So do give some feedback. Yeah, do uh, people, if, if some female feedback would be good. Yeah. I'm sure if especially. we actually have any female listeners, it doesn't tell we us that in the least, demographics. We have at least, at least one. one yes. But I think that one might be on the podcast right now. Oh no, no, no. I think in that case two. at least one other. <laughs> okay. Well done guys. Uh, you have been upgraded from listener mirror. Uh, you are now special contributor. guest <laughs> Oh right, okay. Like Mark Kermode on that. Anyway. Yeah. So, should we let's let's do the actual study um, which isn't actually technically about men and women. It's about gender. Ooh. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Uh, so the study is called Sexual Orientation Related Differences in Allocentric Spatial Memory Tasks. That's by Raman and Kurting um, in 2008. And the authors were interested in whether sexual orientation has any trend effect on the trends in spatial memory. Um, they refer to studies that show that uh, heterosexual males tend to outperform homosexual males on traditionally male-favouring tests like 3D mental rotation or allocentric allocentric spatial judgment tasks um also they talk about previous studies uh, a previous study that raman himself did um where he found that homosexual males tend to use significantly more landmark based i.e egocentric strategies in navigation tasks than heterosexual males so they were kind of interested in whether some anachronism of the um the homosexual brain in as much as there is one um makes it more similar to kind of female spatial processing as compared to male spatial pro- uh, heterosexual male spatial processing I was trying to come up with some kind of joke where because their spatial memories is different that's what underlies the whole sexuality uh, it's to do with like locations of genitalia and stuff I'm going to kind of you, you know workshop it on the word orientation and orienting. That's so much better. You're so much better oh. at this than us. Damn it. <laughs> this is why we shouldn't have had a guest. <laughs> it's just showing up all our terrible flaws. Um, anyway, the, the uh, sort of my, uh, my PC um, English middle class um, sensibilities are setting off alarm bells at using the term homosexual brain. But there is... Uh, plenty of sort of developmental evidence to suggest that there are fundamental um, changes in androgen levels in early prenatal development, which do have strong predictive impacts on uh, sexual orientation and therefore on this kind of processing. So it's not entirely unreasonable to use the term, but I'm not going to anymore. Um, So anyway, the authors got... uh, Four groups, 35 homosexual males, 35 homosexual females, 35 heterosexual males, 35 heterosexual females. Um, and they basically tested them in exactly the same way that you would test a rat. Um, because they wanted to do spatial memory. And the classic way that spatial memory has been tested is using mazes on rats and mice. Uh, specifically, the mazes that they used were the Morris water maze and the eight arm radial arm maze. Uh, they swim well kind of sadly they didn't actually build giant versions of the two mazes because that would have been amazing well kind of amazing they used (laughs) virtual ones so the reason it's only kind of amazing is because we've talked about the morris water maze before and what happens in the classic version is that you have a big circular tank full of milk into which you drop a rat or a mouse and there's like a submerged platform somewhere in the in the water in the milk that the mouse has to find and climb out on which he can't see because the milk is opaque um however 
bearing in mind that mice tend to get quite anxious when they're put in a big vat of milk, and given what animals tend to do when they get anxious, I pity the poor bugger who has to clean a, a Morris water maze out at the end of the day. So I think in general it's probably better that they used virtual versions. Um, incidentally, that job of cleaning out a like milk and feces filled tank is probably the, only the second worst smelling science job that I've ever heard of. Um, the first place goes to a guy I met in a pub once called Hermes, um, who was a biochemist. I know <laughs> was this in Oxford? Yes, oddly enough. Uh, he's a biochemist working on the properties of sperm, and his job largely involves microwaving samples. And according to him, at least, the entire lab uh, was slightly sticky, which um, was frankly disgusting. Anyway, so that's the Morris Water place. Um, yeah, I think that's the smell of death as well. That's quite a bad one. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's worse, though. Anyway, um, the a- I've not had a kind of head-to-head smell rating. That's another research proposal for us. <laughs> Necrophiliacs. Uh, I, I might just keep a tally of these researchers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, call them out at the end, but keep going. Yeah, anyway, so the, the, and the other one was the radial arm maze, which is basically you start in the centre and spread it around your eight... Um, little corridors with various features on so you can identify them and at the end of each corridor is a reward that you have to go and collect and you have to collect all the rewards without doubling back on yourself um, and so they gave like uh, computer versions of these two tasks to all their participants um, and the results were kind of kind of confirmatory but kind of a little bit more subtle so on the water maze it was pretty clear cut um, heterosexual males were faster than homosexual males and heterosexual females. So that seems to confirm the idea of their spatial processing in homosexual males functioning kind of at a similar level to those in, to that of heterosexual females. However, in the eight-arm radial maze, all males were faster than all females. So the conclusion, which is not very conclusive, sadly, is that in some cases, it's back to the old in general thing, in some cases um, sexual orientation does actually uh, skew the pattern of spatial working memory spatial memory uh, but not always so yeah, there's a little there's a complete um, lack of climactic ending for you Okay, what happened with sorry, what happened with the homosexual females? Did you say this and I just kind of didn't get it? No, they didn't mention it in a great uh, in very much detail. I probably means it didn't come up with anything they, interesting. They they mention at one point that their what they found went against their predictions. Um their predictions I believe were that homosexual females would be closer to heterosexual males. That's what I was expecting. And apparently that wasn't what happened, but they didn't go into a huge amount of detail on it sadly. That's interesting. I mean, it does raise an interesting question about kind of orientation. Mm. Is homosexuality the same in men and women? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure it's a question that I know anything enough about it to answer. Me neither. But I thought it was an interesting study because there have been quite a lot of studies looking at sort of spatial working, spatial memory and gender differences because it is one of the most robust kind of biological gender differences. But I thought it was quite interesting that it's bringing in this additional dimension of uh, sexual orientation. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, without further ado, I think I should hand over to Mira. Yes, because that leads very nicely onto a study with rats and gender and mazes. Um, Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like the muttering. The muttering is better than Tim's abject silence and hatred. (laughs) <laughs> you don't know it's hatred I... until I tell you. <laughs> Sorry, Mira, carry on. No, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, so this is by Williams and Mech, and this is kind of another classic study. Um, so I'm not going to actually talk about it too much because it's quite simple, um, but it was cited by over 360 people when I last looked. So mm. it's probably important enough to appear on this podcast. Um, now, rats are pretty useful because they are, A, very cooperative in water maze situations, as I think we've previously discussed on this podcast, and B, they're surprisingly resistant to cultural gender associations. So, <laughs> I know, Baby rats funny. don't prefer pink. 
<laughs> rap, no, rap Hollywood hasn't really kind of got the whole romantic comedy versus action movie thing in the same way. Which is weird, yeah, given weird. the Rat Pack. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and they've somehow escaped the world of God of God of War magazines, promising ten thousand more ways to please your man this month. I thought. Um, when you said that, that you said there's... God of War magazine, which is yeah, quite briefly. different. Anyway, carry on. It says something about from. Um, can I just God say, there's there's an amazing blog out there that points out how physically dangerous a lot of the stuff in Cosmo is, <laughs> and I've I've not I've only read about one issue of Cosmo when I was doing some research. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I prefer New Woman. What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, um, what kind of research was this, Tim? Uh, it was for a presentation about sociology, showing that Playboy magazine is equally misogynistic in terms of its image presentation to Cosmopolitan magazine. Suggesting that women's magazines aren't necessarily as pro-women as you might imagine, even compared to something that's clearly quite, you know, objectifying, like uh, Playboy. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, the, the point was uh, that, yeah, some of this stuff sounds quite dangerous in those magazines. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, and it could be even more dangerous for rats, but luckily they, <laughs> they've escaped this, so we'll never know. Yes, 12 ways <laughs> to please your man. They're not going to work for a rat. <laughs> God. Anyway, images. Anyway, right. So you've got your twelve arm radial mazes again, um, and one trial every day. And at the start of each trial, eight of the arms were baited, and four was not. Four were not. And the idea is the same as with the previous study, where the rats have to run around the mazes, um, but this time they're actually swimming in them. Are they swimming um, as well? Oh, are they running all? Oh, that's a very good point. Um, well, they're they're either running or swimming. I can't quite remember. It's like a triathlon. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Do they have to shoot anyone at any point? I don't know, but they probably have to cycle out at the end. Of the <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, I want to see a rat on a tiny bike I think now. The rat Olympics would be infinitely preferable. Oh, I saw a video today on YouTube. Well, I didn't watch it. A guinea pig Olympics. I'll have to put that in the. Uh, I've show seen notes. rabbit show jumping before. That's very good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Derail. I was not meant to get the giggles. Okay, I'll stop. There we go. Right, and they recorded two types of memory errors. So one was a reference memory error where the rats forgot from day to day which arms were baited because it was the same arms every day. Hmm. And the second was the working memory errors where the rats forgot pretty much from minute to minute which arms they had just visited to collect food. Okay. Um, and basically male rats were significantly quicker than female rats at getting all the rewards. So they made fewer memory errors of both kinds. Oh. And then they did another experiment where female pups were injected with estradiol, which I think we can just see as a precursor to testosterone, and male pups were castrated. Um, and Brutal. Also, um, it's like females, have some drug. Yeah. Males, I'm very sorry. <laughs> you lose. Um, <laughs> you lose something anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and they had some controls um, where the male pups were apparently sham castrated. I don't know how you would pretend oh, someone. That's kind of thing even worse. Someone in Soho an awful lot of money to do it, though. <laughs> you just paint them so it looks, I don't know, maybe... <laughs> don't My mind's going places. I think you should carry on before I have we're a chance not to go there. Yeah. Them. Um, and the male controls and the female estradiol injectees learn the quickest. Huh followed by the female controls and the male castrates. Cool. So basically that's saying that the more male hormone that you've got, the better you do at the spatial navigation memory nice. thing. Um, and then they kind of go on for about 22 pages. They do some more experiments, but it's pretty much the same thing. Huh. Um, they cite some previous research because uh, they weren't the first people to do this, but they kind of found flaws with all the other rats and water mates and spatial memory studies and they decided that they could do theirs better and that's what they did um cool that's really nice that's that's sort of like yeah a perfect animal almost perfect animal analog unless you could actually find a sample of homosexual and male and female rats which probably would be quite difficult i was wondering because there's homosexuality in rabbits but i've not heard of it in rats isn't there a book like a famous book like detailing all the animal instances of homosexuality i don't know I thought you were referring to Watership Down for some reason when you started that. Just oh, but now um, I just want to write some Watership Down slash fiction. Look what you made me do. I'm trying to think of book titles for that. Something like, I don't know, maybe you could have one for donkeys called Fifty Shades of Bray. <laughs> 
Uh, one for dogs, Fifty Shades of Stray. You know, the donkey's already got the whole kind of carrot and stick mentality. One for golems, Fifty Shades of Clay. Oh, I've got one One for horses, Fifty Shades of Nay. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> Zing. There we go. Perfect. Well, that seems a good enough point to end that study on. Well, no, I just wanted to ask one question, right? Um, yes. Is the whole testosterone business situational? Because I'm sure we talked about on a previous episode that if you increase your kind of aggression and your pumped upness, your testosterone levels increase in the short term. Could you get better at navigating, essentially, at the memory needed for kind of place memory just by, like, getting all butch and, like, and pumped up? By getting angry. Um, I think we should try it. I mean, this study obviously didn't look at it, but I think we can put that on our list of future research. Programs. Okay. Does being, yeah. Because obviously, like, the castrated um, rats don't have testosterone through development, and that is very different than if you gave me some kind of estrogen thing that suddenly cut out my testosterone. Oh, I see. I think they've done it both ways in the past. Okay. I think other people have done it where they've just... Because the female pups were just injected with something. Yeah, true. Um, but then I don't know. Which they all the more raises the question of why they had to castrate them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, I, 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 it wouldn't be too difficult to run a study like that. You just get participants to do, you know, like 20 minutes of cardio beforehand or something. Or like yeah. play a violent video game or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, oh, Hellhammer. Watch some pornography. Yeah, totally. <laughs> why even not man of those, exciting hellhammer of those three of those three experimental groups that's a real tough choice <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah i know i prefer castration to uh, <laughs> you, you get porn computer games exercise or castration it's like a really awful extension of snog marry avoid But BBC Three would still commission Almost it. Almost certainly. That can go into the list of BBC Three prospective shows that we... Uh, <laughs> okay. We have about as many of those as experiments, I would say. I would say so too. Right. Tim, Shall I talk things. about something somewhat different? Yes. I'm going to so talk no, about things somewhat different. That, that are much more about social interaction in a study called The Unbearable Likeness of Being Digital. Now, I cannot decide if a pun on Milan Kundera is admirable or if this one is so weak to be, like, really bad. Because not only is it w a weak pun, but it's a weak pun on quite an obscure book. You should send it into the Dave Gorman podcast. I'm sure that they'd be prepared to do something about it. <laughs> yeah, there's that special area on Pun Street for journal <laughs> titles. But as we've established, you start with a pun and you work out the science from there. Exactly. It's the best way of generating research. So, yeah, this was a study that was in the journal Cyber Psychology and Behaviour, uh, which is a cool name that actually demonstrates the changing world in which we live. And hmm. it's kind of critical to understand people's behaviour online beyond the obvious awareness, at least in my mind, that people are more truly horrible online. Now, oh, yes. The cesspool of humanity. It's like the internet is Moss Eisley. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good, except that, you know, there's less variety in uh, trolls than the aliens or something. Probably. Yeah. Anyway, um, because this is a study of virtual behavior, it obviously uses Second Life. As we were discussing a couple of weeks ago, Second Life is just seemingly the industry standard for simulating the virtual world. Um, and we'll actually talk about some of the reasons why a bit later. Um I've never played Second Life because you need a first one first. Uh, <laughs> what they want to... Don't, they don't want, exactly play it, do you? Uh, you? Just sort of do it. Yeah. It's a bit like, is it, you know, so different from... A, it's quite an involved social network with a mm. real money currency mm. and stuff. But you do move an avatar around, and that's the key element. Um, what they wanted to see was whether gender interactions and non-verbal behaviour transfer across into the Second Life environment, even though, as they say, the mentality of movement is entirely different, i.e. via keyboard and mouse as opposed to eyes and legs. Because um, that's how I walk on my eyes. So, I suppose... Never mind, carry on. It means monitor keyboard and mouse, I guess. Yes. Uh, as and as usual, I kind of worry that I'm better with keyboard and mouse. <laughs> Maybe that's that what I need. Life. It's just yeah, like a kind of mesh on my brain 
to control my motor cortex with a mouse. I think what you want is a mech. That's what you want. Yeah, but I just break doors. <laughs> Maybe um, a little one. Maybe one made of like soft material. Yeah, <laughs> squidgy, foamy mech. <laughs> um, apparently, uh, players of MMOs spent on average uh, 22 hours a week, which is about what I work, um, interacting with their avatars. Um, this study was coming from a media effects position. That is to say, to understand the impact of a medium, you have to understand the extent to which it differs from reality. This podcast, for example, Mira can assure you, does not really differ all that much from reality, except perhaps in, as last week told us, Ben's level of profanity. Um, yeah, it's pretty much just a heightened version of what these guys are like all the time. <laughs> you poor thing. Yeah, I don't know how you coped. Nor did I. <laughs> oh well. I think everyone brought their own special brand of crazy to the table. It's just mine and Ben's has a sort of multiplicative effect. Yeah, well, mine just involves really big eyes. Yeah, it's like, your thing is to be crazy eyes. (laughs) And balloons. Yes. Definitely more balloons. Maybe we'll put that video in the show notes. (laughs) No, gosh. (laughs) That video can't make it any further than where it is (laughs) on the internet. (laughs) Uh, Sentiments echoed by so many celebrities. (laughs) yeah is this gonna be but under quite different context (laughs) yeah exactly it's like the talisa video but something that people would actually get some kind of joy from right moving on sorry i I, i've had occasion to read news international papers i apologize anyway um so yeah um and actually when we are together the uh, uh, um when ben does swear he does have a bleeper to spare my timid ears um timid yeah i know i i i I guess that as well i was then thinking about if i had mid ears that would be like kind of on my side but i didn't put it in i don't know why i I thought about well yeah (laughs) because it's a stupid tangent and i don't want to make people think too much about my side anyway um We've already talked in a previous episode about the concept of presence in video games uh, in episode 19, I believe. And I had to look that up quite thoroughly because we hadn't started doing consistent references at that point. Um, They plan to extend that in this study. Furthermore, they want to see if it's possible to study non-verbal behaviour in the virtual realm rather than the real one. Mostly because they want an excuse to use their World of Warcraft subscription at work. And also because they had a whole bunch of sweet emote macros written. (laughs) Okay, it's really because being able to take advantage of the experimental control, precise measurement abilities and ease of replication that is intrinsic to virtual environments. Which is true, you can control all sorts of things. The example they give of research in the virtual world is researchers interested in studying the effects of parental investment on gender and dating behaviour can simply change the rules of the online forum such that males are forced to carry the child instead of females or to change the gestation period from nine months to a shorter period. I think these guys have an mpreg fetish. That's such a weird example. I played World of Warcraft for like a year. We never did that. (laughs) Anyway, Second Life is actually a good model to use because there's less magic to confuse people than in online <laughs> games. It's a common problem, not experienced by real-life psychology. <laughs> the psychology of magic. Damn it, the wizards are messing up our experiment again. Well, yeah, is there is there a journal? Magical psychology? Something like that? I have this suspicion there probably is. In his, in his cavalier attitude towards uh, experimental testing, Squire is kind of the Leroy Jenkins of psychology. <laughs> <laughs> he's got chicken uh yeah. well cadaver anyway <laughs> yeah a nice simple measure of nonverbal behavior that can be used to compare with the real world is proxemics the study of interpersonal distance a study in which i'm widely considered patient zero anyway <laughs> or hm <laughs> yeah ipd which is not to be confused with ipl varies with many factors including gender Wow, took a while to get to some actual genderite <laughs> content. I bet when you thought I was doing gender in the internet, I'd have got there a lot sooner. Um, now, as you might imagine, the literature on gender and IPD is inconclusive because it's psychology. And gender. But the slim majority suggests that male-male dyads, that's dyads, not dryads, two people essentially, have the largest interpersonal distance and female-female no, you... have the smallest, which is like totally sexy. 
Did I say that? <laughs> wow, I'm channeling a 14-year-old on chat room is, or something. How is it there. you being the, like, crass, objectifying male here? Hey, I'm playing a character, and that character is a medium channeling a dead 14-year-old on chat roulette, which is also a dated reference. <laughs> oh, God. I'm trying it out for an Edinburgh show. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, what does this tell us about how the process of IPD works? We don't keep a set distance from our companions at all time, not even me. You'd need to be kind of a robot or something to manage that. What well, that's just because you find it very difficult to keep a set distance from anything. Well, no, yeah, I'm always kind of heading in diagonal sort of direction. Um, equilibrium theory suggests that the level of intimacy is measured by a number of factors, and where we can't control one, we control another. IPD is often balanced by gaze. For example, on the tube in London, you can be packed like sardines in a crushed tin radiohead reference, but no one meets each other's eye wherever possible. Um, also, it's quite easy to measure mathematically in the virtual environment. The authors of this paper, Yi et al., predict that the same inverse relationship as in the physical world will appear in the virtual world. Gaze isn't just used to control intimacy, however, uh, as it were. It's also used in conversation to demonstrate attention. So they predict that gaze will be increased in conversation and that this effect will be higher in females, as in meat space. Um, previous work has shown that immersive virtual environments, where you control by using your body normally, i.e. virtual reality, work the same in these regards as normal life. Anyway, some data collection. They wrote a clever script that collected the names and coordinates of avatars around the avatars of the research assistants who worked 10 hours a week for seven weeks, and they excluded certain locations from the analysis. These were dance clubs, sex clubs, classrooms, casinos and parlour games, and similar locations where physical architecture constrained position and orientation such as movie theatres. That's the internet I know and have an on-off relationship with. <laughs> because it's electric. Um, and weighs as much as a strawberry. But you know what the script can't do? Can't measure gender. So the RAs had to do that themselves, and I find this funny for some reason, principally because I'm not an RA. <laughs> um, Second Life has... Quite difficult. The avatars aren't particularly well detailed in Second Life. Oh, really? Mm. Second Life has a special animation for when someone is typing, even before they've posted it, which was coded as talking. So, what were the results? Mixed dyads actually had significantly less interpersonal difference than male-male or female-female. I can think of an explanation for this, given that there's a whole continent, apparently, for adult content on there. Um, gays significantly negatively correlated with IPD, um, though, so reality triumphs in some ways. Location didn't make a difference, nor whether they were talking. When it came to gays, male-male dyads were less likely to look at each other than a dyad with a woman in. Women always looking, always seeing their eyes. <laughs> Whereas I've never actually looked at Ben in a conversation. I'm not sure what he looks like. <laughs> I, I should just point out at this point that ever since you first used the term gays, unfortunately, the fact that the previous two studies were talking about homosexuality has completely ruined the interpretation of what you're saying. I don't me. think I've, I've ever talked about gays on this show, which I've done before, without you getting confused. <laughs> I'm so confused. Well, yeah. As we discovered well. at that wedding. <laughs> yeah, that wedding. <laughs> um, so, yeah... Um, this was also my location. People are more likely to have eye contact indoors, and less surprisingly, gays positively correlated with talking. So, when it came to the conclusions, they claimed that male-male interpersonal difference was significantly more than FF, which was not mentioned in the results, which put MM and FF about the same. So, either they messed up one or the other, or they're just blatantly lying and think we won't notice. <laughs> That's not entirely unreasonable. I, yeah. <laughs> well, true. I often skip the results section and look just at the start of the discussion. And if yep. I'd done that, I'd be like, oh, good, they got some good results, but apparently not. Um, the data did support equilibrium theory, which is good, I guess. And they also confirmed that conversation increased gaze. As for gender, they did find that males were less likely to hold mutual gaze and also that they were less likely to do so indoors because there the opportunity to keep this high interpersonal distance is curtailed. Now, they suggest from this that Second Life is a suitable analogy for studying social norms that can be extended to the so-called real world. And I think this is interesting, given that my expectation of online behaviour is as a distorted hyperbolic version of reality, which includes gender interactions. You know, there are clear examples of places being unwelcome to women online in a way that I don't think is anywhere near as common in the regular world. 
and perhaps after this we can move on to research to clarify which areas map and which don't, and perhaps which virtual environments have the greatest degree of social verisimilitude, which is something they suggest for future research. They point out that studying only one virtual world might mean this happens by chance. And yes, I think that interpersonal distance might be very different in a virtual environment where you want to get close to someone with an area buff. And it's a social rule that doesn't really exist in the flesh realm. Also, the context of meeting <laughs> and the connections between diets. You like that flesh realm? I quite like that. Um, could not be measured. I love that flesh realm. Um, and then it ends in quite a bizarre way. Um, so yeah, downer alert by uh, saying that we insist on embodiment in the virtual world, which leads to um, bad things like rape. Hi. Um, guys, I'm trying to do a comedy podcast. How am I supposed <laughs> to keep things funny if you do this to me? This was great. It was like proving men are awkward online. Oh, you know, they don't look at each other. And then, you know, you had to ruin it by saying if we didn't have online embodiment, instead we just kind of became a mysterious ether, then there wouldn't be sexual abuse online. You ruined it, guys. Uh, that's, oh well, that's, that's well, that's a study. awful, awful point to end the podcast on, uh, particularly given the joke that I was going to make. Oh well, never mind. Yeah, it's all right. We, I mean, we've got time for I think one more study. Yes, I think. Uh, oh, we do. So, uh, for the final study this week. Um, I say this week, we're going to go straight on and record next week just to lift the curtain on the inner work. Spoiling the magic, <laughs> like we do every time. Yes, because it's fun. Anyway, what the, the upshot of this, you'll be pleased to hear, is that I won't be presenting a study this week. This is due to disorganisation on my part. But anyway, I'm going to do one now, which I really like. Um, it is uh, looking at some less stereotyped biological differences um, between men and women. And it is called gender-specific olfactory sensitization, hormonal and cognitive influences. It is by Diamond, Dalton, Doolittle, and sadly, Breslin, um, in 2005. And it is asking the question, do women smell better? Uh, yes, they do. <laughs> I was going to say, they're yes. made of sugar and spice and all things nice, which really makes their metabolism a bit messed up. Yes. Uh, the answer is, in fact, yes. Probably to both um, passings of that particular question. Um, according to various studies, women actually do have a better memory for odours. This is what we're talking about. Not do women smell better, but do women smell better? Or possibly do women smell better rather than smell better? I don't know. Anyway. Um, and I can confirm from my journey home on the tube today in 31 degrees that women do smell better. <laughs> and at least Frontline other... research. Mm -hmm. Yes. If anyone was in my room right now, they could concur with that. It's really hot. Um, According to various studies, women have a better memory for odours, they're also better at identifying them, and they derive greater hedonic pleasure from the experience. So, Mira, you really shouldn't be complaining. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm really glad we've got a studio right now. <laughs> don't have a studio right now. Um, yeah, so, but these are all kind of, they're quite high-level processes, you know, memory, identification, uh, to a, maybe a slightly lesser extent, the hedonic thing, but they're all kind of cognitive rather than based on pure olfaction. Um, and the authors of this study point out that most studies don't find any difference between sexes when considering pure olfactory sensitivity. But the authors argue that uh, previous studies are limited by the fact that they ran one-shot experiments. That is, they only tested people in a single session. Um, they argue that in order to test uh, olfactory sensitivity properly, you have to test the ability of someone to learn to identify a scent because we, we have a, only kind of like a baseline olfactory sensitivity, which doesn't really reflect how good you are at smelling stuff. Um, so uh, they took six participants, quite a small sample size, but they got fairly consistent results. Um, and they gave them repeated exposures to something called benzaldehyde um, and I quote via a modified staircase method with a five reversal criterion which I think I don't think means that they placed the samples on a set of stairs and made them climb up them without turning back um, but I didn't actually read any further on that bit so I don't that's me. <laughs> um, sorry when I said they uh, took six participants I mean they took six women and six men uh, so 
I don't mean they took six participants. I mean they took 12 <laughs> participants. Six breeding pairs. Gosh, I'm doing well. Anyway, uh, benzaldehyde is a very simple, easy-to-produce aromatic aldehyde. Do you know what aldehydes are? Yeah, I had did A-level chemistry. They're like, they're like, so they're like fragrant um, hydrocarbons. Hey, Tim, what's the name of the most fragrant-smelling member of the cast of M.A.S.H.? Uh, I don't know any of the members of the cast of M.A.S.H. Well, it's Alan Alderhyde, but anyway, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah, more to come. Chemistry humour, strong in this particular study. Uh, anyway, yes, uh, benzaldehyde apparently smells pleasantly of almonds. Um, so like arsenic in that respect. Um, and so they uh, repeatedly exposed their participants to it and tested their threshold for detection of the odour. Um, and it was found that over the course of several um, epochs of training, women's threshold for detecting the chemical increased, uh, or rather, sorry, their threshold decreased, their sensitivity increased by up to 11 orders of magnitude, whereas the men's didn't change at all. So this is pretty clear evidence that women, whilst maybe at a base level, don't differ from men in terms of their olfactory sensitivity, when given the chance to... Uh, become sensitized to a particular thing they're astronomically better they uh, then did a couple of follow-up studies all with um, sample sizes of 12 6 and 6 um, and they found various things so uh, the sensitization generalized to some other odors such as berry odor which is uh, called methyl furfural which I quite like um, but not other odors. So uh, the, a banana odor uh, called methyl acetate. Um, hey Tim, what do you call it when a man with a lisp fires a banana-flavored rocket at, the, at a London art gallery? Uh, methyl acetate. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. That that one was a bit more of a stretch. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so that was one thing they found that it transferred to other similar odors. Um, they also interestingly, tested other samples of female participants um, of, of different ages. So in the original study, all the participants were between 20 and 32. They thought it might be something to do with hormone levels. So they got two samples of participants whose estrogen levels were known to be lower than in the original sample, i.e. one group with participants aged 49 to 61, and another group with uh, girls aged 9 to 10. Both sets had age match controls, and in both cases, uh, the females uh, performed just as poorly as the males in the sensitization task. So apparently, according to these data, women of reproductive age are better at olfactory sensitization. Um, and the authors also point out that this change isn't dramatically affected by normal menstrual cycles. Um, okay. Because I was going to say, is it just another one of those topical ones? Essentially, we're learning that testosterone gives you better spatial memory and estrogen makes you better at smell. I mean, they say that it made it had very slight differences, but nowhere near the extent that they were talking about here. But I suppose it's conceivable yeah. that's just because the fluctuations in estrogen aren't as big. Um, what I was quite surprised about with this study was that the authors didn't at any point offer any kind of made-up evolutionary explanation for the phenomenon. Which is kind of, Say what? It's kind of a pity. I mean, it's almost like they were sticking to reporting the data in an empirical and falsifiable manner, the Philistines. Um, <laughs> but it, particularly in this instance, because it's, it's a finding which lends itself so well to some sort of made-up evolutionary explanation. I mean, I say I'm that, sure I haven't come up with one. But I'm sure, I'm sure we could do one, just women smelling berries. To yeah, that's what I was thinking. All about the berries. Yeah. <laughs> It's always about the berries. Evolutionary so. science gives a very skewed picture of what it must have been like for a female in a hunter-gatherer society. It's a primarily berry-based existence. Um, maybe it was. Who who knows? Who knows? Um, but I would like to end this study on an old, old psychology joke. Uh, one psychologist says to another psychologist, I've just discovered that men demonstrate insensitivity insensitive olfactory habituation no, no please no the second psychologist says then how do they smell the first one says all together now awful yeah it's wonderful there you go sorry can i leave my awful to about five seconds later please. that was awful that was i was so pleased with myself um uh so yeah that uh that seems a 
uh, well, it's a better point to end the, the session on than, uh, than Tim's study. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, we have, okay. we have learned, what have we learned? Let's, let's do a, let's do a summary. Um, that the virtual world reflects the real world in, uh, its ways of gender interaction. And I guess that male and female rats are roughly analogous to male and female humans. Um, and that you can make rats behave differently if you cut off their genitalia. Indeed. Um, and something about, well, we don't want to say homosexual brains because that's not something that we want to say, but um, something about that and navigating mazes. And stuff. Yeah. Yes. Well, there, there we go. Okay. That, that... I mean, that's, yeah, interim conclusions. We'll finish off by solving the whole men thing. I have a hint that they might be from Mars. Um, oh really? Do you do you really or Gleaser five eight one D? Do you really want me to make that joke now? No, no, we'll save it for the for the for the actual bit where you wrote it for. Okay. Or whatever. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, if you want to do Mira's experiment and then tell us about it, oh, yeah, no, which is her. remember picture in your head going from your home to somewhere five minutes away, um, then you can contact us in lots of ways, like Twitter, which is at Team Psychomedia. Uh, you can email us at uh, psychomediapodcast at gmail.com. Do you know any of these, Mary? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, is there a third Just way? Facebook us is Facebook, one of them. Yes, Facebook Ben or Tim or me or Facebook me for next oh, week. Oh, wow. Uh, don't to... Facebook me. I've always said don't Facebook me, but apparently Mira wants you to Facebook us. So do that. That'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can visit psychomedia.wordpress.com um, or find Psychomedia on Facebook or on TV Tropes. Um, we don't have a Tumblr yet. I might get around to that, but I'm lazy. Um, yeah, I think that's all the ways. Uh, so, I uh, think so, yeah. And we'll be back back soon. Next next week, next we, week. we will be wearing gold medals for podcasting. Because <laughs> the Olympics start. In the guinea pig podcast Olympics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye for now. Bye. Hello, ladies. Look at your man. Now back to me. Now back at your man. Now back to me. Sadly, he isn't me. But if he stopped spending all his time swimming around in a water maze and started using old psychomedia body wash, he could smell like he's me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You can't tell, can you, because of your allocentric spatial memory. I'll tell you, you're in an eight-arm radial maze, and one of the rewards is two tickets to that thing you love. Look again. The tickets are now an iPad filled with episodes of psychomedia. Anything is possible when your man smells like psychomedia and not a milk-stained rodent. I'm on a yak. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I don't know if well done's the right word. <laughs>